We just finished a series where we were talking about God's will. And we over and over made the emphasis of how important it is to be in the flow of God's will. Because it's in God's will, when we're walking in that general sense, that he begins to reveal specifically what he wants to do with our life. What we're going to do the next four weeks is we're going to talk about God's purpose for our life. We're going to talk about thriving in God's purpose. And it's exciting to know that for all who've been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, that we have God's stamp upon us, the spirit within us, and we are, we are free to walk in his way and fulfill his particular purpose for our life. And God does have a purpose for our life. And what's happening in the world is not an accident. God is in control. He is working. You know, there's a lot of people right now, and, and rightfully so, I would say, studying Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is the description that Jesus gave about what will happen at the end of this age when the world as we know it comes to an end. And, and it's important to remember as you're studying this and you're thinking through this and we're seeing all these things happen, that we remember what, what Jesus said and we don't, get, we don't get too freaked out. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 6 Jesus said, see that you are not alarmed. Do not be alarmed. Do not be overwhelmed. Do not be afraid. Do not let this world get at you. Understand, for this must take place. There are certain things that are going to happen. They must happen. They are part of God's will. They're they're going to happen. And God has a purpose for everything that will take place. And that means that we can be a people who are thriving. What is thriving? Thriving is having the confidence to be intimate with God and the contentment to obey God's commands while trusting outcomes to God's capable care. No matter what happens, we can trust God because God is in control and he has a purpose for everything. He has a purpose for this pandemic. God has a purpose for the social chaos that we are in. God has a purpose for the international strife. And God has a purpose for every personal struggle we face. God has a purpose for every season. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1. For everything there is a season. For everything. Everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. So friends, it's crucial It's crucial that we not waste time complaining, that we not waste time being distracted, that we not waste time worrying. We are not in control. Stop worrying. God is in control. Think about how much stuff you're worried about right now that you can't control. You can't control the government. You can't control what everybody's thinking and feeling. You can't control it. What do we do? We trust God who is in control. We trust his plan. We trust his way. We trust his heart. And we remember, we can't control what we go through, but we can control how we go through it. And if you want to, you can go through it worried and you can go through it alarmed and you can go through it angry and you can go through it distracted or you can go through it praising God, knowing that he's got a plan and a purpose for every single thing. 
Our God is calling us to be a people thriving in God's purpose. And our text today helps us understand how we do that wherever we happen to be. So let's get back to Nehemiah. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go now to Nehemiah chapter 11. Nehemiah chapter 11. Macaulay's going to come and read for us. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. She's going to read for us the first two chapters of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Macaulay, read that for us. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated and pray for the preaching of God's word. Man, she's cute. My goodness. So, so sweet. Oh, so smart. Okay, so we're in chapter 11, and this is a decided moment. Now, just as review, I know it's been a few months since we've been in Nehemiah. Let's take a quick perusal through what we've studied so far. Go back to chapter one. Let's remember what Nehemiah is about. Nehemiah is about a man who's been called by God to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So you see there in chapter one, he was cupbearer to the king, which is a big deal. We're going to talk about that. And he gave up this cool job because God compelled him. His heart broke. Listen, those walls had been knocked down for over a hundred years. And yet here he is crying about it. Why? Because God put it on his heart. And so he got permission from his boss, the king, Artaxerxes, to to head back to Jerusalem and to, to rebuild those walls. He showed up. He got a sense of what was going on in chapter two. And he said to the folks, look, we're going to do this or not. And they said, let's do it. And they began to arise and build. So what you see in chapter three through pretty much the end of chapter seven, kind of glance through there, you'll see that it wasn't easy going, that there was uh, political intrigue. There were personal problems. There were internal conflicts. There was a lot of danger. People were having to carry bricks and swords at the same time as they were building the walls. There was, there was a lot of pain and sacrifice and a lot of infighting. And yet, after 52 days, and I want you to think about that. Chapter 3 through chapter 7, 52 days, the wall was built as God commanded. And, and after that wall was built, if you'll notice there in uh, the end of chapter 7, verse 30, 73, part B, there's a turn. So now Ezra steps up to the plate and Ezra was a priest who had come to to lead the people into a revival, into a covenant renewal. And so kind of glance through seven through 10 and what you'll see is the reading of God's word, the response of God's people. They basically said, God, we're going to do everything that you said. Go, Go to chapter 10 now. And look at the, the, their response. They, they're, they're saying, God, we're going to do it. We're going to hold you in high honor. We're going we're to do everything that you have commanded us to do. And look at verses 37 and 38 of Nehemiah 10. They said, look, we're going to tithe. We're going to make your worship priority. We're, we're going to give. We're going to be a part of what, what you've called us to do. So now go to chapter 11 and notice what's happening is Nehemiah has determined under the leadership of God that there needs to be a tithe of people to come back to Jerusalem. There needs to be a group who come back to to really provide for the needs of the city. Now look at verse two and notice that there were a group that chose to come. They weren't compelled, they just chose. They they saw the need, heard the need, and and there was a great blessing that came to those who said, oh, there's a need, here's my hand, I'm available, send me, I'm good to go. 
the rest had to be chosen by lots, which was a typical way that, that the Israelite people determined God's will. So nine, nine out of 10 people, they stayed out in the farmland where it was safe. And a 10th of the people came into the city. Now, whether the people chose it or whether it was circumstantial through lots, God was in control. God was moving. God put them where he wanted them to be. And what we need to understand is whether we choose it and say yes or whether God brings it about by circumstances, there is no such thing as coincidence. There is no such thing as chance. The Bible teaches a simple and beautiful concept called providence. What is providence? Providence is the beneficent outworking of God's sovereignty, whereby all events are directed and disposed to bring about those purposes of glory and good for which the universe was made. These events include the actions of free agents, which while remaining free, personal and responsible, are also the intended actions of these agents. Providence thus encompasses both natural and personal events, setting them alike within the purposes of God. So there are choices that are made. There are works of God, all of them working together to accomplish God's purpose. For instance, how is it that you have come to sit in the seat that you're sitting in right now? How did this happen? Well, you say, well, I got up this morning. Yeah, 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 I know, I know. And, and I know some of you, well, we, we sit in this seat every week. I mean, this is just, I mean, most of you are where you're supposed to be seeing. Lloyd's, thank you. Good to see you. Glad you're where you're supposed to be. See, it's good for me. It's good for me to see you right there. You know, others of you, you're, you're sitting where you're, you're supposed to be. It's good. But how did you get here? Think for just a moment. How many millions of decisions have you made that have gotten you to the place where you're sitting where you are right now? How many billions of decisions were made by your parents and their parents and their parents? I mean, just go back four generations. How many decisions have been made? People that moved, jobs that were taken, jobs that were rejected, uh, circumstances, sickness, all kinds of things that have happened that have led you to be sitting where you are right now. You chose it. And God made it happen. That is providence. It is God working through the decision-making of people to accomplish his purpose. God is at work. And he is calling us to be a part of it. And that is God's purpose. And we can be thriving in God's purpose when we will approach our life in the same way we see these folks today. Two things that I would encourage you to take note of that, that will help us live with the purpose that God has for us where we live. And the first is this. We can live with purpose by meeting needs. Meeting needs. It's amazing what happens when we simply choose to meet needs, how God's purpose for us is revealed and takes place. Now, you'll notice in verse one, now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. So there were people who were there. There were those who had responsible, uh, responsibilities in, in their roles, and they were there, but th there, there, was, there were some problems in that th there wasn't enough of them to protect all this space. They, they, had, they had housed in a large city with that wall, but a lot of the houses were still knocked down, and they would easily uh, be able to be taken out by a raiding army. And so they needed to bring in some protective uh, people that, that, could, that could really provide. Because 
The world is a dangerous place. I took away a lot of things from yesterday. And one of the things that I was reminded of yesterday again is the world is a dangerous place. What's happening in Afghanistan right now reminds us that not only is it dangerous because of of individuals, but because of people groups. In Afghanistan, we are getting confirmed reports of Christians who are literally, not figuratively, literally being crucified. Women and daughters being taken from their homes and given over to warlords. We live in a very dangerous world where Islamic tyranny is a very serious danger. And then this pandemic. We've got terrorism. We've got Islamic tyrants. We've got a pandemic. We've got a lot of dangerous things that are all around us. And and friends, we, we can't afford to be naive. We don't have time for that. And it's unwise. We need to do what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. You know what's going to help you sleep well at night? Knowing that you're doing exactly what God's commands you to do. When you know you're innocent of wrong, any, any purposeful wrong, there's peace. You can know, hey, I have done to the best of my ability what God wants me to do. Now, I'm not going to be ignorant. I'm not just going to assume everyone's going to appreciate it and that's just automatically going to make everything. No, no, I've got to be wise. I've got to leverage everything that God has given to me, but I can have peace and I can can know and I can sleep well because I'm innocent before God. And what we can't do at the same time as all these things are just hitting us and hitting us and hitting us is we can't get hard-hearted. You know, it's so easy right now as God's people. And we're seeing this, not just at Living Hope, as I talk to pastors across the nation, as I'm talking to leaders in nonprofit organizations, there are so many people who are saying, I just can't serve right now. I, I don't, I, we can't re-engage. We can't get back into, into things. It's, and I want to encourage you with what the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote to the church at Galatia. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Continue to do the right things. Sure, you're tired. Sure, it's going to be hard. Yes, it's a difficult season, but don't give up on doing good. Don't just sit back engage, be wise, know that you're doing God's will and and, and be a part of it. It's protective. It's strengthening. It it meets needs. It's important. And this, there were city services that, that these folks were meeting, not just the protection of saying we're together. We care. This matters. We're going to pray. We're going to praise God. We're going to be together. These folks had to get new jobs. Think about what's happened. They've been living on farms and doing well, and now they're supposed to come to the city. There are no jobs yet. Houses are torn down. There's not a lot of resources there. They're coming to a place where they're probably going to get attacked, and they don't have a lot of payment for it. And so here they are basically saying, we're willing to serve no matter what. We know that there is a purpose that is bigger than our comfort that's worth this. And that's what we as Christians understand. 
Every one of them had a purpose. Every one of us has a divine purpose. And those of us who are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, we're citizens of heaven. We have a place in God's kingdom. There is a purpose for our place in God's kingdom. More than that, we are adopted children of God. And because of that, we have a destiny. Our Father has a destiny for us to find and to fulfill. We have a place in his kingdom. We have a place in his heart. And under the guidance and the gifting of the Holy Spirit, we can be useful to God's purpose. And the best way that we can live out what God wants us to do is right where we live. It is not an accident that you live where you live. It's not an accident today that you're sitting where you're sitting. God has put you there for the people who are around you. God has put you there for the benefit of your own soul. God has put you there for a purpose. Serve where you are. Serve the needs of others. Serve with God's provision, with a hope that he's given you in your heart. Understand everyone around you needs the gospel today. Every single person around you. Here's what everyone's assumed. Well, I think everyone around me is saved. Yeah, most of you are. I know most of your testimonies in Christ. Everyone around you still needs the gospel to know that God is not done with them yet. That we're all on a journey together and that God has more. And, and we need to tell each other that, that God has more. God's got a purpose. He's not forget, forgotten us. He's still at work and, and everyone needs to experience this love. Don't forget that. Everybody in this room needs God's love. Everyone you're going to drive past today needs God's love. Everyone you, who lives near you. Most of them are not in church today because of religion, because of cold, calculated rule keeping. That's what most people think a, a life with God is. You know what they need to know through you? That it's about love, that it's about the goodness of God and how he has provided his son. And we have this gospel and we have this life that he has designed. And what's amazing is when we live out meeting those needs, we find and fulfill our purpose. See, if you're just sitting on your hands, if you're just waiting for it to happen, if you're just kind of, well, you know, I made a decision and, and that's good and I've got my fire insurance, but now I need to get on with the way I want to live my life. You will never thrive in God's purpose. It's when you're willing to lean in to what God is doing in the world that you will find this great fulfillment, this great wonder in the purpose and plan of God for your life. You know, there's a lot of people that are just trying, they're just trying to get by. I mean, there's so many people, if, if you're honest, some of you sitting here today, you're just trying to survive. And a lot of the people around you that you know right now, you're just trying to survive. But can I tell you, there's more to life than just surviving. Some of you have gotten beyond survival and you're ready to move on to success. What is success? It's getting more of what you want. And there's many people in churches today who are being lied to by pastors who say God exists so that you can be a success, so that you can get your dream, so that you can get your blessing, so that you can get your stuff. And God is not that shallow. Amen. God wants more than that. See, here's what God wants. God wants for you and for me to experience significance. He wants our one and only temporal life to actually matter for eternity. He wants you to do something with your one and only life 
that will matter forever, that will change future generations, that will impact other people's lives. This is the gift of God. I I pray that you'll receive it. One of my great heroes is Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's famous for saying many things. This is my favorite thing he ever said. You're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. You cannot be partly a Christian. You are either dead or alive. You are either born or not born. It's that simple. I love that guy. He's the same guy who during World War II, when they had emptied out London, he was preaching in Westminster Chapel. There was maybe a hundred people and the sirens are going off and he's preaching and a bomb hits near the church and the plaster from the ceiling came down and everyone looked up. He was praying at the time and, and everyone looked up. He paused and Lord, as I continue and pray, just continued on and just, just brought it, just brought it. Where, does it, where did he get that kind of courage? Here's, here's, here's why Martin Lloyd-Jones was what he was, is because he wanted his life to matter. He wanted his life to be significant. So here's what he did. Early on, in his early 20s, he gave up being a medical doctor to become a minister. See, at the time, medical doctors were seen as gods. They could do the impossible. They could bring healing. They, these were the powerful people. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, now, I'm giving up all of that. Didn't go to seminary, just, just sought to, to, to use what God had given him, and he became a minister. One of his mentors actually said, you are on a fool's errand. You need to stop, stop, stop what you're doing. And he said, I cannot. See, he had seen something he couldn't forget. He saw a man who was a great doctor, who had it all who had fallen into despondency and depression and helplessness and hopelessness. And they were bringing to to him his awards. He said, they were bringing and saying, look at the awards you won. Look, and they were bringing, look at the people's lives have been changed by you. Look at all you've got. Look at all these great things. And you know what he realized? They were all passing away and they were all hollow hopes. His soul was empty. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones determined that he wanted to give his life to being a physician to the souls of people. And he gave up what the world could give to gain what only God could give. And what God is calling us to is to get beyond just trying to make it. Get beyond success and get on with significance And when that happens, we discover our purpose. It's only when we're willing to give up just getting by. It's only when we're willing to give up survival and success that we can get to significance. This is what Nehemiah did, by the way. Remember what he was? The cupbearer. Now, we don't think that's a very big deal. We hear that, okay, he carried a cup. Doesn't sound cool to me. No, no, no. Cupbearer was highly intelligent. This guy had the ear of the king. This guy had power and authority. He had a great benefits package. I'm going to tell you that right now. The retirement was sweet. He had a condo in the big city and everybody thought he was cool. And here's what he did. He said, boss, I got to give this up because there's a wall that needs my attention. There's a work of God that needs my attention. I don't want to survive here. I don't even want to succeed here. I want my life to be significant. 
And he gave it all up to serve God. He met needs and so must we. It's in meeting those needs that we find our purpose and significance. And the second thing is we can live with purpose by, and the only way we can find and fulfill what God wants us to do is stewarding resources. We got to be smart with what we've got. Now, everyone had stuff. Everyone who stayed at the farm and, and, and most of the people who came to the city, they, they had stuff. They had jobs to provide for their families. They had a way of getting by. Some were doing better than others, but everyone had something to give. Some had a little bit more than others. Uh, look in verse 23. This is kind of comical to me. There are some who had the king's provision. There was a command from the king concerning them, a fixed provision for the singers as, they, as every day required. You know, someone was like, what is this about? What are they? Artaxerxes was, was not a dummy. He believed in other deities. And here's what he was doing. He was bribing God by basically saying, hey, I'm paying for your people to sing praises to you. Take care of me. This was a, this was a divine bribe, which by the way, does not work. But what he was doing was he was giving others a little bit extra. But no matter what you've got, and we've all got something, we're responsible for what we've got and what we do with it. You know, when we, when, usually when we start talking about this, everyone starts kind of clutching their wallets. Oh boy, here we go, talking about money. Can I just tell you, it's easy to give money. Everybody probably in the last five days has, has spent some money. If you have spent money in the last five days, show of hands. If you spent money on gas and didn't have a cardiac arrest, oh my goodness, I bought gas yesterday. I was like, what is, when did this happen? I missed my little Jeep. We spend money. Giving away money, putting, putting, outputting money is easy. And yes, God calls us to tithe, but he calls us to more than that. God calls us to do the hard things. You know what the, one of the hardest things to do I think for me personally, the hardest thing to do is to give my heart. My heart was hurt when I was little. My heart was made very much afraid. As I watched my my dad have multiple heart attacks, as I watched my my parents divorce, as I, I watched my mom disappear, as I watched friends die, it became very scary thing for me to love and to trust my heart to other people and other things. But I came to realize something that C.S. Lewis wrote about. See, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. God doesn't call us just to give a little money. He calls us to give us, for us to give our heart to him and to one another. To, to give our heart and, and, and to give, yes, our best efforts to say, I'm, I'm here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything that I can, which means we've got to give time. 
Now, no one can do that right and no one can do that responsibly unless you got three things. And I wanna encourage you to really think this through. Do you have these three things? First, do you have a financial budget? If you don't have a financial budget, then you don't know where your money's going. It's just going. Secondly, have a calendar. Where's your time going? You need to know where your time is going. You, you need to be very serious about your time. They're not making more. You know this, right? Last, your commitments. Know your commitments. Now, here's the problem with most people. They don't have a budget and they don't have a calendar and they don't really know what their commitments are, but they're spending their lives. Is that you? See, you've got commitments, whether you want to admit to them or not. You've got things that are of first importance to you, whether you want to admit it or not. Friends, be wise and be innocent before God and sit down and say, here's what I have. What I have, I'm responsible for. I'm going to be responsible with my money. I'm going to be responsible with my time. And I'm going to be responsible with my efforts. And I'm going to make, and I'm going to live by the commitments that God has called me to. Now, remember, God does not expect us to give what we don't have. He expects us to give what we do have. What do you have? Romans chapter 14, verse 12. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. God will hold us accountable. And what is amazing is when we give, we fulfill our purpose. And when we give together, something great, something great and big happens. You know, I I use this term to describe each of us this morning and it's become something of a negative term. Don't take it as a negative. Every one of us is in some way a snowflake. Now, snowflakes are beautiful. The first picture ever taken was by Wilson Bentley in 1885. And typically when you think of a snowflake, this is the picture that you think of. That's the first picture ever of a snowflake known to man. And you know, one snowflake maybe doesn't seem to be a big deal. And I know some of you are thinking, well, my life, (laughs) I mean, it's important to me, but what difference can I make? Well, you know, you take one snowflake and you add it to a bunch of others. You know, you get what we got in 2016. Y'all remember the snowstorm of 2016? Charlie loved it. I think we got a video of Charlie. Yeah. Happy day when his shoulders didn't hurt and he wasn't old. It's beautiful, isn't it? See, that's what God does. When he takes your life and my life and our lives and he puts us all together and we pray together and we give together and we serve together, it stops traffic. It makes a difference. It fulfills God's purpose. Some of you right now, you are not fulfilling God's purpose. Some of you right now, you're just in survival or success mode. There's more. There's more in Christ And I pray that you'll receive it. Let's stand together as we pray. I'm gonna ask our care leaders, if you don't mind to come forward as we pray to be prepared to care for the people. God, you are good and you do have a purpose for everything. 
You've put us where you want us, just like you moved those people to the city and left some in the, in the farmland. Lord, you have a purpose for our lives and you call us to be faithful. But Lord, we can't do that without Christ. And so there are some here today who are seeking to live their life and they have no option but to live for success and survival because they don't have Jesus. They can only live for themselves because they don't have you, Lord. I pray that today would be the day of salvation. They would come and talk with one of these leaders and that they would receive the life that only you can give. Father, I pray for your people. Some who are here right now, their commitments are off and they know it. Lord, would you speak to each one of us to give us the right commitments that we would budget our money and time appropriately. Right now, ask God to give you the courage to have the right commitments, to develop the right budget and calendar for his glory in your life. Father, some of us are gonna need help and so some need to come to the altar today. Some to ask for your divine intervention in their family or their lives for healing. Some for strengthening. Some for renewal. God, we all need you. And we're so glad that you give hope. You've called us to be living hope and to spread your hope, to live in your hope as we thrive in your purpose. So God, bless us. Bless our lives to your glory. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.